very much. John chapter 4, we're going to go back there to this uh, wonderful account of Jesus meeting this woman at the well. And we're going to read uh, verses starting where we left off this morning and read in uh, verse 27 and read down several verses. Uh, John's gospel, chapter 4 and verse 27. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, what seekest thou or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that, I ever, that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. He that reapeth receiveth, receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying, True, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified he told me all that, I, that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. Many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior, of the world. Praise God. What a wonderful account this is. Jesus giving this example to his disciples about the harvest field. The field is white, he said. The field is white. It is ready for the harvest. The field is white. Now, most believe that the Gospel of John, that um, this account that John is the only one that records it. In the other Gospels, it's not recorded, only John. So many believe that John was probably an eyewitness. The other disciples went to town to get food, but John was kind of on the sidelines, just kind of watching all this unfold. And um, John, there was something special about John because he had, he uses this word, must, over and over and over in the Gospel of John. There's like he has this inner passion, this, uh, this uh, necessity that is laid upon him. He's compelled uh, by the work of the Lord and by the things of uh, the Spirit of God 
And, um, and so there's this must in him. You'll see this in his writings. John chapter 3, verse 7. He said, you must be born again. That's his encounter with Nicodemus. Then in chapter 3 and verse 30, he says, he must increase and I must decrease. And then in chapter 4 and verse 9, he says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. In John chapter 12, the Son of Man must be lifted up, speaking of Christ going to the cross. In John 20 and verse 9, and actually there's more than the ones that I'm mentioning here, but this is one of John's favorite words. John 20 and 9, he's, he describes that he must rise again from the dead, speaking of the resurrection. So the word must is a favorite word of John. And so when he spoke and he writes about Jesus, there was something about that event where he said Jesus must needs go through Samaria. There was this, he real, realized that uh, this was something that Jesus was determined to do even though it wasn't necessarily the normal route for the Jews to take or the normal place. Uh, but Jesus knew that there was not only a, a woman there that was desperately in need, but there was also a great harvest that was waiting there in Samaria, in that land where their religious ideas have been twisted and confused and mixed with the Assyrians. And so what they believed was just all mixed up and they just needed to know Jesus. They needed to meet the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, and he must, there is that must. I just pray that you and I will get that same compelling passion, desire to do something for the Lord and to see that the fields are white and ready for the harvest. Amen. And you'll notice here in this account here in John 4 and 27 that uh, it says that, that no man said these things, but John must have thought them. John must have, you know, he didn't, no one, it says no one said, what seekest thou or why talkest thou with her? But John must have been thinking, I wonder why nobody is saying that. It seems obvious. Why is he talking to this Samaritan woman? Why has he gone out of his way? Why is he doing what he is, is doing? And, um, and, and uh, why is he reaching out to this woman who is the most unlikely person that God could ever touch or use, but Jesus loves to reach the most unlikely, the most, the one furthest from God and, and without any knowledge of God or the things of the Lord, Jesus has a must uh, to reach them. And God give us the same must, the same passion, the same desire, amen, to reach those that are in need. I think that one of the things that's going on here is that this woman, that there probably is a little confusion. The disciples are probably scratching their head. They're a little bit afraid apparently to say anything, but they're just wondering, why her? This woman is a mess. She's not just a Samaritan, but she's a woman with a bad, shady reputation. And uh, why her? Why her? And Jesus was giving us this example. 
so that we'd recognize that God is no respecter of persons. Nobody is too far away from God. No one is so deep in their sin that what Jesus can't reach out for them. And I think that it was an example that was given to the disciples to remind them, don't exclude some just because you think there are hopeless cases. Don't overlook them. Don't, for, don't uh, forget to pray for them and to love them and to reach out to them. Even though their lives are so messed up in such a wreck, Jesus has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. God is no respecter of persons. And that means that there's no place in the church for any kind of prejudice or racism or any kind of an attitude, no matter what color they are, no matter what race they are, no matter what their status in life is, no matter what their education is or their lack of education is, it makes no difference. They're a soul. We kind of talked about that a little bit this morning. They are valuable, more valuable than all of the world. Just one person, just one eternal soul more valuable than the entire worth of the world. Amen. Amen. So we need to look at, the, at people with that, that same way that Jesus looks at people. I do believe that there is a difference between a revival and an awakening. A revival comes when the church is kind of, you know losing its zeal, losing its fire, kind of dying out, losing its spiritual strength. We need revivals. I need revivals. I need times when I'm spiritually revived and brought back to life. We all need that. We all can fall into a place where we are losing our zeal and our fire uh, for the Lord. We all need revival. But an awakening is different. An awakening, it's similar to revival, but we, there have been at least four awakenings in our nation over the history of our country. Awakenings are not just a church event. They're an event that affects cities, communities, regions, and even nations are affected by spiritual awakenings. It's where people that don't know God, they don't know about the Lord, they're certainly made aware, I need God. They're made aware there's like this spiritual awakening and they recognize that they need the Lord. So the church, yes, needs revival, but we need a spiritual awakening that stirs the hearts of people so that the Spirit of God just kind of settles in communities and cities and, be, and, and God begins to deal with people that are far away from Him. And then uh, He prepares their heart to be a whitened harvest, ready to be harvested. And then we are to take that opportunity and to go forth into the harvest field and see that they are white, they are ready, they are ripe, they're ready to be harvested. Amen. Praise God. So really the great task uh, is not to get the lost into the church. Actually, there's really nowhere in the scripture where the scripture commands the lost or the unsaved to go to church. But there's a lot of places in the scripture where there is the command for the church to go after the lost, to go into the world. That's a repeated command of our Lord. Now, obviously, when someone comes to the Lord and they, they're hungry after God, they're probably going to come into the house of God seeking. And we, want, we certainly don't want to disappoint them when they come. 
We want them to come and there to be a moving of the Spirit of God. We want the gospel to go forth so that they hear it and receive it and put faith and confidence in the word of the Lord and that they repent and turn to Jesus. That's what we want to see happen. But um, our need in a spiritual awakening is to see that the fields are ready. They are ripe. They are ready. And you know, when the fields would turn white, there was just a little little window of opportunity. I'm not exactly how sure, but it was just a few short weeks, two or three weeks, that when the fields got ripe, then the grain would turn almost white. Um, and I found that picture, sent it to Christy, and she made that uh, for me for tonight because when I saw that field, of that, that wheat field, it looks almost white. It's almost ripe and ready. But there's a little window of opportunity. So whenever God is speaking, whenever he's dealing with someone, and uh, you sense the Spirit of God just compelling you and driving you, and you feel that must, I must, rise up in you, then it's time. Don't wait. Don't delay because there's only a window of opportunity. When the field is ripe and ready, then we need to move. We need to move. And as I said this morning, this is, I believe, a season, a time in uh, the year when people's hearts are open, when people are kind of turning their attention toward uh, the story of Easter and the resurrection, and, and many hearts are open to the things of the Lord. And uh, we need to understand that we have a responsibility to go to them, go where they are, go to their homes, go to their hospital rooms, go to their sick bed, go to them, whatever that the situation might be, and, and reach out to them and believe God to touch their lives. Amen. I've told this a lot of times, but uh, back in 1982, Marsha and I left here and went to Oklahoma to, to start a church. We just had a little handful of people. And uh, the building we were using for that new church was, uh, was only available to us on, in the afternoon. We, we had church at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And we were renting the building from the Methodist people. And as they were coming out, we would shake hands with the Methodist folks and the Pentecostals were walking in. Uh, but we decided since we couldn't have church on Sunday morning that we would have a prayer meeting and a visitation. So we would pray for a little while. Then we would go out in the community and knock on doors and invite people to come to church. And, and uh, a lot of people, if someone comes to their door, they already have this, this answer, this response that they have. And a lot of times people say, well, I am the member of, I go to such and such church. But this was Sunday morning. And they would get halfway through their excuse for not being in church and realize, oh no, I've been caught. I, if I go to church, I should be there right now. And um, so it was, it was really a, a real opportunity. One of the first doors that we knocked, to, knocked on, uh, a lady came to the door. And as soon as we began talking to her, the tears just started flowing. Started flowing down her face. And um, the field was ripe in that household. And that lady came with her two little boys to that service at 1 o'clock. And when the altar call was made, she came to the altar and she got saved. That night, that night we had a service. The Methodist folks had a choir practice or something. They didn't have church. They had a short little meeting. And um, 
So as soon as they were through, usually about 7.15 or 7.30, then we would go in and have a night service. We had a 1 o'clock service and about a 7.30 service. Uh, so we had two services on, on Sunday. And so that night, her husband came with her to church. And he came to the altar. And he gave his heart to the Lord. And... Uh, over the next two years, we were in the process of building a building out there and getting moved into a new church building. The first funeral we had in that new church was that man, 34 years old, found out he had cancer. Six months later, he died, and he died, and he went to heaven because the field was ripe, and there were some people that were going out there, knocking on doors. He's in heaven. And his family knows the Lord and serves the Lord. And I've known and hear from them from time to time over the years. They're still in the house of God. They're still serving the Lord. And it's an amazing thing because God gets the field ripe and ready. And he's going to bring you into an encounter with people like that. And don't be bashful and shy and, and reluctant to talk to them about the Lord. The field is ripe. The field is white. It's ready and so whenever God begins to speak to you and deal with you and the Spirit of God begins to lead you, then respond and do what God can, can only do through an individual that is willing to go into the harvest field. Amen. An amazing thing also about this story is the fact that God used Jesus, uh, used this woman and then she was the vessel, <clears throat> excuse me, she was the vessel that goes back to the city of Sychar. Remember, that was the city of drunkards. She goes back to the city of Sychar, and she goes to, it says, she went and she spoke to the men, to all the men. Apparently, her immoral lifestyle had made her acquainted with a lot of the men of the city. And so she, she goes back to the city and she speaks to the men and says, come and see, come and see, come and see. This man has told me everything that I have done. He has known everything about me. Come and see this man. Surely he is the Christ. Jesus uses whoever he wants to use. Amen. He uses whoever he wants to use. I was listening the other day to a message David Wilkerson was preaching when he first went to New York City, he said he weighed 115 pounds. <laughs> I think I weighed 115 pounds in the fifth grade or something like that. <laughs> but he weighed 115 pounds. He said, that was soaking wet. He said, I was scrawny and I was sickly and I was weak, but he had a burden for that city. And he went into that city and started witnessing to people, going into places, actually dangerous places, to preach the gospel, to witness to people. He said one day he, was, he followed some young boys up on top of the roof of a tall building and, and they were shooting up drugs. And, and he said it was, a, it was the most uh, uh, upsetting thing that he'd ever seen. He said they were not using clean needles uh, and they, were, they each were trading off using the same needle. And, and uh, he said he could see in their eyes, their eyes were all yellow from jaundice. And he knew that they were all sick and going to die. They weren't going to be able to survive much longer. And he said he would just, it was just, but he just kept trying to, to speak to them and, and reach out to them. Uh, many of them were hopeless and in despair over their situation. 
One said, I've lost my family, I've lost my job, I've lost my home, I've lost everything. This, these drugs have such a hold on my life. It's a hopeless situation. But Dave Wilkerson spoke to them and preached to them the gospel. And some of them began to respond. And some of them got saved. One of, one of the guys that, that got saved, his name was, if I can pronounce this right, Sonny Argonzoni. Sonny Argonzoni. And uh, he got saved. He went to Teen Challenge. He got filled with the Spirit. He got called to preach. And today, 50 years later, he heads a fellowship of hundreds of churches with thousands of people that attend the church. And he was one of those guys on the top of that roof sh shooting up drugs that, that was a hopeless situation, was about to die from a drug overdose, but God chose to use Sonny Argonzoni to, to, to preach the gospel and to affect hundreds and thousands of people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God can use whoever he wants to use. Yes, he can. So don't ever think, don't ever think that you are exempt or that you cannot be used. Oh, yes, you can be used if you're young. You can be used if you're old. You can be used if you feel unqualified. You can be used no matter who you are. The Lord is looking for willing hearts, people touched of God, filled with the Spirit, anointed of the Spirit of God, with a zeal for God. He's looking for people with that kind of a compassion and a desire. And if you have a desire to reach people and you can see that the fields are ready and ripe, then move forward. Amen. And let the Lord use you to do what He wants to do. I want you to notice that the disciples... They were down here on this level. They were all concerned about the physical and the natural. Jesus, why haven't you eaten? And then they're, they're confused because Jesus says, well, I have meat to eat you don't know anything about. They said, did somebody bring him something to eat? Did someone else bring him a sandwich or something? What's going on here? They were so confused because they were, they were in the natural. They were looking at things in the natural, but Jesus was, was up here. There was something much more important to him. I want meat to eat that you don't know anything about. There's something that satisfies me that you don't know anything about. They were concerned about the physical, but Jesus was teaching them an important lesson that spiritual food and spiritual endeavors and spiritual sight and understanding is much more valuable than the things of the flesh. Amen. Praise God. So that's why he says to them, don't say four months, but lift up your eyes. He was saying, look up, lift, lift your eyes up. Don't be looking down at the, at, you know, if you look at the natural, you're going to say, I can't do this. If you look at the natural, you're going to think, I'm not equipped to do this. I'm not an evangelist. Let's leave it, just leave it to those that have the gift to, to talk to people. And I don't have that natural gift. Don't excuse yourself. Jesus is saying, don't look at the natural. Don't look at the physical. But look, look up. Look up. And understand that there are, there are some spiritual things that God can do in your life. And he can use you to do some things if you are allowing him. And you'll be willing to allow him to. He said, don't say four months. Because in their mind, when he's talking about the fields and the harvest, they know, it's a, 
Every Jew knows that you plant your seed in one season and about four months later is when you reap it. And so in their mind, you sow the seed, but you have a long waiting period and then you reap the seed. That's not necessarily so when it comes to the kingdom. And Jesus is giving them that example because this all happened in one day. This all happened. It was noon when Jesus spoke to her and she dropped her water pots and runs uh, into the city of Sychar and tells all the men what's going on and they immediately turn and they gather up all the men of the city and they say, let's go see what's going on. And so all in one day, and that kind of expresses that uh, the harvest is a harvest of urgency. And too often we want to say, well, maybe next week or next month or it'll be more convenient later and I'll, I'll call that person later. I'll pray for them later. I'll go visit them or reach out to them later. But I believe that Jesus is giving us the example here that there's an urgency about the harvest. There's an urgency about the lost and you have a window of opportunity to reach out to them and we must not forsake it. We must not neglect it, but we need to do what God is calling us to do. The harvest is ready. Are you ready? There should be an urgency in our heart that we recognize this is an immediate need. We've got to move forward. Now, I'm not suggesting that you not be led of the Spirit or directed of the Spirit. Certainly, that is important to be led of the Spirit. But don't shirk. Don't, don't procrastinate. Don't wait till a more convenient time. Go ahead and do it. Go ahead and move forward and reach out uh, to those. The fields are ripe. He said, lift up your eyes and look. He's telling them. I believe that Jesus is probably pointing at the hillside where they're coming from Sychar. One commentator said, well, that the people of that day, for the most part, wore light colored or white clothing. And so all of these people, these no doubt maybe hundreds and hundreds of people are coming uh, from down the hillside into that valley where that well is and uh, they are wearing white clothes and he is saying to them, look, here they come. It's, they are ready. He doesn't say ripe. He says the fields are white. The fields are white. Look, here's the harvest right here. Look at all of these uh, uh, Samaritans that are coming and gathering toward us. Look at all of these people. So we need to look above the physical and the natural and be sensitive that our eyes can see what the Lord sees. And he knows the hearts and he knows people that are ready to respond. Like the lady that I mentioned, we knocked on her door. She came to the door. We start talking about her coming to church and asking her, do you know the Lord? And then the tears start flowing. I'm telling you, she was ripe. She was white. She was ready. Now, there are times when people are not that responsive. I understand. But be led of the Lord and understand that God wants to use you. Lift up your eyes and be used of the Lord to reach out to the harvest. Amen. Remaining part of this chapter he describes that, that we, are, we, are, we are in a partnership. We're in a partnership. There have been prayers prayed. I know I found out a few years ago that I had a great, I believe it was a great, great grandfather. 
and grandmother, uh, this was in the 1800s, that, uh, that knew the Lord, served the Lord, and were people of prayer. And when I found that out, I just thought, Lord, a hundred years ago, they were praying for their kids and for their grandkids and for their great-grandkids. They didn't know our names. They didn't know anything about us, but they were praying for us all those many years ago. And so there were those who have sown and then others that reap the harvest. Amen. And we're partners together. So sometimes when you talk to someone about the Lord and you witness to them and you give them God's word, sometimes, you know, um, uh, they might be kind of like those in Athens. Some of those said, well, we'll hear about this later. We'll, we'll listen to you later. We'll talk to you about this later. And um, maybe it was just putting them off, putting Paul off and saying, we're not interested. Or it may be that they mulled it over. It may have taken weeks or months or who knows. But some of those who heard the gospel, it was like a seed that was planted in their hearts. And no doubt, it had its impact. Amen. So when we see someone saved and born again here in our church, we rejoice in it. But we also are rejoicing with some unnamed people who may have sown seeds in their heart. That prayed prayers for them for many, many years. Amen. Praise God. We're in a partnership here. We are. We're in a partnership. We're workers together with God Amen. Don't ever think you're not important. You are important. Your prayers are important. Your witness is important. Those, those, that ministry that you do is important. I, I was telling Brother Joe about how when some of the ladies came to me, this was years ago, and said, we want to start a prayer shawl ministry. And I was like, what in the world is a prayer shawl ministry? I didn't know exactly what they were talking about. But then they explained it to me. We want, to make, we want to crochet and make these prayer shawls and then have the church pray over them and we'll send them out to people that are sick or going through things. And all these years later, hundreds of those have been sent out. They've been sent out all over the country. Not only in our community to people in need, but we've mailed them out, mailed them out. There have been times when we've had six or eight of them on the front pew up here on a Sunday night and we anointed them and prayed over them and they would be sent out to people and it was a ministry and seeds were being sown in the hearts of people and in families and in lives and it makes an impact. Everything that you do, even just a cup of cool water in his name doesn't go unnoticed. Amen. And so let the Lord use you. Let the Lord... Use you to reach out to somebody, to take a meal, uh, to, to, uh, to offer some help, some encouragement uh, to them. Amen. Do what you can to help them. Some of you all know who I'm talking about, little Sean that comes over here sometimes on Sunday morning and sits behind Marcia. And he, he sits there because he likes to watch her play the piano. And uh, uh, I texted him this morning. I said, are you, are you coming today? And later on in the morning, while I was preaching, actually about 11-something, I read the text later, and his text said, I'm sorry, I think I backslid. <laughs> uh, uh, but he said, I, I, haven't, I haven't backslid too far, he said. But I'll, I'll, I'll get back. I'll come back. And I encouraged him 
to come back. And one morning in Sunday school, he had said something about, nobody will help you. I need, a, I need my driver's license, and I, I can't even get a job. I, I don't have any of those things. So I went to him after service, and I said, what do you need to get your driver's license? He told me, I said, let's get that done. He said, well, I would. I have to walk. I have to walk everywhere I go. I said, I'll come and get you. I went and got him the next morning, and, and I took him uh, where he needed to get his paperwork together and then go and wait for a little while to get his, his ID and everything, and he got it. And then he got a job, and he's still working in his job. Praise God. Amen. Just a little seed sown, just a little effort that's done. It might make a difference in someone's life and eternity. Do what you can do. Do what you can do. If the Lord gives you an opportunity, do good. Do good. Not just to the people of God. Not just in the household of faith. Yeah, we need to do good. But we need to do good to those that are out there that, that need help so desperately. Reach out to them. Encourage them. We are partners. Some sow and some reap. But we all rejoice together. Praise God. Amen. There'd be a lot more joy in the house of the Lord if we were seeing people come to the altar Every week, week after week, you talk about a joy that would fill the church if we saw people repenting and coming to Jesus. That's my heart's desire. Amen. Lord, send them in. Lord, help us to go out and bring them in. Help us to reach out to them and show compassion uh, to them. And then, and then let's partner together. Let's pray together. Let's believe God so that we can then rejoice together. Amen. At the harvest field. Praise God. One more thing I'll mention from this story, and that is that uh, the Samaritans, when they heard her say, he told me everything I did. And they came. And they had this encounter with Jesus themselves. And they were so moved, so touched, that they said, please don't leave. Please stay. Jesus, remember, he's just passing through. He's been in Jerusalem for the feast time. He's going to his home base, which is up north in, in Capernaum. And he, that's where he's headed. But he must needs go through Samaria. Because there's going to be a lot of hungry people that he's going to encounter there in Samaria. And so they pleaded with him and he stayed two more days. Those two days, no doubt, he was just pouring into them. Pouring into them, loving them, ministering to them, healing their sick, touching their lives, changing their lives. And notice what they said. Verse 42, verse 41 rather. And many more believed because of his own word, what Jesus spoke to them in those two days. And said unto the woman, now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves. And know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So they were first curious listeners, but now they are convinced believers. Praise God. Amen. At first, we came because we heard you say, come and see this man. So we were just curious. Who is it that stirred up this woman? Who is it? But now... Now we've heard him for ourselves. We're not just curious listeners anymore. Now we are convinced this is Jesus. This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. And so a city of drunkards is turned upside down by the power of the gospel. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's what he loves to do. 
That's what he wants to do. Amen. My prayer, and it's been my heart, my vision for years. I love to see this building absolutely packed with people seeking after God. Amen. Amen. It'd be wonderful if some Sunday I just had to get up and say, okay, folks, there's no more seats. We don't have any more seats, and so we need to buy about 80 chairs and fill up the balcony. <laughs> Amen. Make more room for people seeking after the Lord. Amen. The fields are white. They're ready. You don't have to go very far to find somebody that needs Jesus. Not very far from this building to find people that need the Lord. Amen. May God put the same must in all of us that John had. The must needs go through Samaria. Praise God. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for speaking to us today, Lord, about the, the, the whitened harvest. And Lord, help us to take it to heart. Help us to respond, Lord, to the call of God.